Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire. Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Welcome, everybody, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. We are cruising at impulse power. Hello, David. How are you? Hello, Captain. Ready and ready and waiting. Did you just bust a nut? Yes, I the- did. Wow. <laughs> Jerry Ryan. I'm sorry. I saw a oh, picture of Jerry come Ryan. Come on. Come on. Let's be no more, you know, locker room talk. All right. On this show. <laughs> we had some complaints. So we're going to clean it up. We're going to clean up this show, David. Otherwise, you're out of here. <laughs> Let me get the bucket. I said no more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be discussing Star Trek Picard, episode five of season one, Stardust City Rag. All right. So let's get down to business. The moment the episode premiered, it caused an explosion that caused a shockwave across the fandom like the destruction of Praxis, and we were all on the USS Excelsior being tossed around. Let me reframe that statement a bit. The newer Trek fans didn't seem to be affected. They had shields up. Many of the older fans seemed to have been very conflicted or just downright angry with some of the elements in this episode. And honestly, Dave, I don't know where we fall in. Where do we fall in? I feel like we're the only old school Star Trek fans from back in the day that have an open mind. It feels like it. I mean, like, I'll be honest. Me and you are, have when, ever since we started the show. I started noticing that we're we're more we're more kind of like the very minority of Star Trek fans who like Deep Space Nine, and we are minorities too, by the way. And we're no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if so stupid, if you think about it, there's a lot of there's very little of like Star Trek fans who are willing to look at each series and say, hey, they have their pluses and minuses. Yeah, we have our favorites. We have their this. But most Star Trek fans, like, they immediately draw the line. No, I'm a Voyager yeah. fan. No, I'm a, I'm a, there are people who like I, Enterprise. I, I, I know. Well, I, I like Enterprise. For, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a seriously flawed show, but I don't hate it. I've, yeah. I've never understood that to begin with. Star Trek fans that draw the line on certain shows. Nope. Don't like that. Don't like TNG. Uh, don't like the original series. I'm like, who the fuck are you? You don't like the original, <laughs> original series? series? How did you get involved in this show? I, I show me your Star Trek fan card. It's fake. <laughs> it's fraud. You know, I I've never understood that, anyways. But hey, you know what? Different strokes, right? Yeah. But personally, me, I've liked all the Star Trek shows. Do I like some less than others? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I would never draw the line and say that sucks and I hate it. It's stupid. Yeah. Never. I mean, like we make jokes, we make jokes about like enterprise and pieces of Voyager and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I still look back at all, every single Star Trek series I've watched. I said, you know what? There've been points where I'm like going, damn, each series has been really strong. This story that they just put, put in front of us is really good and would make Gene, uh, Gene Roddenberry happy. Yeah. And I'm all about change, you know, challenging our views, narrow minded ideas on what Trek is or should be is why, among other reasons, Trek died. It really is. Why did Star Trek die? We were in a hiatus for how many years for TV show over 10 years, almost 15 years. 
because of narrow-minded ideas of what certain fans think Trek is. And they're just like, I don't like it. Well, then guess what? We're not going to get anything. Exactly. And my open-mindedness is about logical writing decisions more than anything that makes sense and are conducive with what we know of a character's journey. Yes. Their characterization and their known ideology if you suddenly change a character, we're like, wait a second, that makes absolutely no sense. Then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a toxic fan. There you go. But if you make decisions that make sense to the characters that have been established, uh, and, and so far with Picard, I'm I'm on board. The, the where, where Picard is now makes sense with what we know has happened. And, and that's why I think me and you fall into that minority group of of Star Trek fans in general, because when you look at, when you look at like our critiques of not just Star Trek, but anything outside, it's when the writing just basically breaks the show. Right. And there were some issues and we were very vocal about it with Star Trek discovery. Discovery. Yeah. First season, season one towards the end. It, there were some serious writing issues and I don't want to get into it again. Uh, fortunately, the second season was some top-notch Trek, and I enjoyed it immensely. And it made up for it. Yeah. And I, and you and I usually don't get caught up in the nonsense of technology canon and the little gripes about visual aesthetics. I know there's a lot of people that complain about the look of, of Star Trek, how it doesn't really fit, you know, certain things. But I'm like, listen, you guys want a show to look like a set from the 80s. There's a reason yeah. why the Enterprise was destroyed in Generations. It's because they needed a, a a set that looks modern. Modern. Yeah. And like ultimately the whole thing about technology, I've always felt Can you imagine like, if we were in the 80s with these? I mean, oh, it would be ridiculous. It'd Can you imagine if Discovery ridiculous. was like it's all like art from the 60s? <laughs> I mean, it'd, like be red- cool. <laughs> it'd be cool for like. 30 minutes. It was good for a fun episode in Deep Space Nine, where Deep Space Nine, they traveled back in time to the Tribbles episode. You remember Troubles with Tribbles? Like, it's fun for those types of things. Or even even the the, the time that it really, really was awesome was in the TNG episode when when Scotty was brought back. Yeah. And the when you see yes, when Scotty you know, goes into the hol- holodeck, holodeck yeah. and basically it's the old Enterprise, that stuff like that, fantastic. Yeah, that looks cool. Yeah, and the, it, it, it's the, like the, the the that's when member berries work. I think you have to cut off some of that. You have to turn off your brain yes. when it comes to some of that because it just doesn't. It wouldn't make sense for you know for us to have a show that takes place in 2020 to look like. Pre nineteen sixties in our world in the twentieth century at, at that time it, it's it just doesn't make sense. And the one thing do you I remember was, the computers they used in Star Trek? Oh yeah, you know uh, motion picture in Star Trek the motion pic or Star Trek the motion picture in Star Trek Rathicon. It was like dot matrix. Yeah, computers. it was dot matrix stuff. You really want to see that? <laughs> and then like the and thing like, I always it's game people. boy it's Game Boy technology. And the one thing that I was Tell people that bring up, oh, technology this, technology that, the, it, it ruins the visuals. I, I look at them and go, you're watching a science fiction show. Science fiction. What does fiction mean, David? Suspend belief. <laughs> yeah. Suspend belief. Bringing it back, David, I, all of my gripes are always going to be about writing for the most part. And shitty directing. <laughs> You know, I, so that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about the aesthetics and the, and things like that and the visual effects. Absolutely. But it's all about writing and character development. Why are we why do we want to continue to watch this show? Are, are we? Yes. Why are we emotionally invested in our players? And that's why I was conflicted with this episode. I'll be honest. When the writers have seven of nine murder an unarmed person in cold blood. It gets my mind racing. Yes. And this is going to be a major talking point for today because I was conflicted so much. So Dave, that we did not record on our normal day. (laughs) I called you and said, Dave, I need time to think about this. I need to watch it again. Let's wait two days. 
And you agreed. You're like, yeah, I need some time too. I need some time too. Because- I needed some time because like it's at this point in this episode that I really started seeing like what we call the red flags when it, in regards to writing. And you have to really think about it and say, are these red flags or is it just Star Trek fan problems? We needed to separate the Star Trek fan from the the critic, essentially. The critic. And that doesn't mean we forget what Star Trek's about. That doesn't mean we forget the ideology of Starfleet and the Federation. We don't. For, that doesn't mean we forget what was set up in Star Trek Voyager with Seven of Nine. Yes. But we need to make sure we're not being overly emotional as Star Trek fans. Uh-huh. Because I get how they set it up, the murder. I mean, using her child, essentially. How do you pronounce the name? Ikcheb? Ikbad. I think it? it's Ikbad. I thought it's Ikcheb. Uh, let, me, let me double check. Because I, I, I remember Voyager. I, I could have sworn it was Ikbad. It's spelled I-C-H-E-B. So, should I continue or wait? No, no, go ahead. Okay. So, using her, her the character from Star Trek Voyager, Ikcheb, which, you know what? That's how I'm going to say his name. Because you know why, Dave? I couldn't be wrong. You know why? Because it's a made-up word to begin with. <laughs> it's Star Trek gibberish. Yeah. Using Ikcheb as the emotional excuse to justify murder, I get how and what they were doing. Vengeance, anger, desperation. It all makes sense. We haven't seen Seven and Nine in, what, over 15 years? So yeah. we don't really know what has transpired. We understand that everything's not all right. We understand that she's about fixing wrongs that the Federation has forgotten. So taking all that into account, I can see how they got from A to Z. And we can't act like we haven't seen such things before. You know, Kirk has been in situations and we will talk about the differences and the the pros and cons of certain decisions throughout the discussion. But first, Dave, I want to say I'm very happy to hear that Quark finally made the big time. <laughs> you and me both. When I heard the, the statement Quark of Ferenganar, I was literally ear to ear. I think I might have <laughs> clapped as well. It just it was it just made me happy. And as we expected, Agnes is not on the good side. She straight up murdered a man she was allegedly, allegedly in, love, in with love with because of something she saw. Yeah. So that creates a lot of questions. A lot of <laughs> yes. big questions. So we got a lot of things to dissect and break down today. But first, Dave, give me your initial thoughts on the episode because I've been talking a lot. All right. My initial thoughts for the episode, uh, obviously, from what we've been saying, I was really conflicted initially. After viewing it once, I was really conflicted with how everything kind of started falling into place. To me, it felt like everything was just shoehorned in where, oh, we're going to have this happen, this happen, this happen. And then I started questioning character motivations. Everyone's character motivations was in in question this whole episode. And I was like going, okay, did they set that up? Did I miss something? Yeah. You're talking about Picard, right? Picard, um, Agnes. The seven of nine thing I realized is more, it's 50% fan because I, we know seven's history and everything else. And we, I get her motivation when you break it down. When you break it down in just this episode, I get it. Yeah. But the thing that hurts is the fact that my fan, my fan brain says, "Well, what about this? 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 What about this about her character? What? What the hell is going on here?" Right. That's. What, but I, I like the few things that you isolate when it comes to character motivation. Yeah. Because those those are some of the red flags that I would. Those are the red flags. Agree with you on. And I think uh, the other red flag that I realized after the second time I viewed it, viewed it because I had to watch this a couple of times just to actually get my thoughts right. I don't want to sound like a, just like what you said, I don't want to sound like a toxic fan, but the one thing that I felt was Picard himself getting lost in this episode. Like this series is called Picard. Is it? 
<laughs> I thought it's called Star Trek Underworld. Underworld. Yeah. <laughs> and I began to realize I'm more excited for like some of the characters. That's great. But this is supposed to be Picard's story. Is it? <laughs> right? We're he's supposed we're supposed to be following him. Dave, and, you're speaking truths. And and you're just throwing them and I'm catching them. I get it. I get it. You know, the characters that I loved in this episode, Rios again was awesome. I thought that was freaking cool. And the callback okay. to Quark connecting it with yeah, Rios was just yeah. funny. Dave, to, to back you up, you know what? We're gonna get into it. Let's 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 start. Okay. Let's just get right into this. Yeah. So uh, the episode synopsis, uh, the La Serena crew uh, begin an unpredictable and lively expedition on free cloud to search for Bruce Maddox. When they learn Maddox has found himself in a precarious situation, a familiar face offers her assistance. All right. So this episode was directed by Jonathan Franks and written by Kirsten Bayer. This episode, Dave, was an eclectic mix of tones. We had one of the darkest intros of a Star Trek episode probably ever. Yeah. Then there were moments of levity, like when the crew were getting ready to go down to Free Cloud. It might have appeared erratic, but this was more than likely purposeful. I mean, Shaban had a very specific story he wanted to tell at this moment and Kirsten Beyer being the writer was tasked with making it work. We want to go dark in order to pose a question, right? Well, if we don't bring the nose up by the end of the episode, someone is going to slit their wrist by the end of the episode. If we don't bring some levity into the episode, could you imagine if we didn't have those moments on free cloud? Oh yeah. I mean, the episode would have, would have been one of the most depressing episodes of star Trek ever. Probably, probably. And yes. that's where this episode does score big points with me. Uh, the the fact that Bayer's juggling and balancing act, giving us a break from those darker themes and moments and reminding us why we're watching this show. Yes, I'm all about doom and gloom. I, I love give me some Shakespeare. I love it. But at the same time, we got to remember this is also Star Trek and we got to we got to maintain those lighter tones at times as well. And that's, again, something that Discovery Season 2 did really well. So they took this episode down this darker path to explore a question that connected Picard and Seven of Nine. The question that many of us had assumed had been answered years ago pertaining to Picard. Do you fully regain your humanity after being assimilated by the Borg? Is there a part of you that you lose forever? Those are the questions, right? Yeah. It's been a classic question in, in Star Trek in regards to the Borg. And it's a question they posed again in this episode. Though I feel like this could be a valid question for seven of nine because she was assimilated at a very young age psychologically this makes sense it would be something she would struggle with most of her life yeah uh, the relevance of the question and its connection to picard however i find a bit more harder to swallow and this is why dave now the part i'm talking about was very impactful and it led to an interesting development when it comes to picard as a character and that moment is when Seven asked Picard if he feels like he recovered all of his humanity, and he answered no. Then Picard said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he works every day to maintain his humanity. And my question is, since when? When did we see Picard ever, ever struggle with his humanity? This is the man that just threw away his career to save the Romulan people, their enemy. Yes. This seems like a bit of a writing blunder to me, this aspect. And I get why they did it. It was to make the episode about Picard. They had to tie everything back. But it just seemed to be a bit insincere because we've never seen Picard struggle with his humanity ever. In fact, and I know this is, I'm going way out on a limb here, but I would even say that he's the most human. No, I'm going to stick to that. I'm probably wrong, but I'm just going to stick with it. We've never seen 
Picard struggle with a decision of right and wrong. In first contact, he became a bit obsessive, you know, but that that understandably he wanted to kill the Borg because of what they did. Right. Yes. But him struggling with his humanity, I feel like in order for that to work. We need to see more of it. We need to understand that question that was posed. And that's why I'm going to wait until the end of the season, because if that's going to be that might be the first time we they're hinting at it. And then perhaps the next five episodes, we're going to dissect and flesh that aspect out. And if they do that. If they take what we just heard, that Picard has been struggling with his humanity, perhaps, David, think about this. Perhaps all of these works and all of the great things he's done as a captain is him really working hard to prove to himself that he is, that he does hold on to his humanity. Then suddenly that fucking works and it is great. That's what they have to go back to it. That's what I was like originally thinking that you could say that is as a Star Trek fan, I've always found that Picard is like the, like what you said, the perfect captain. There's nothing he can do that is wrong. Yes. That's probably the better way of saying it rather than the most human. He's he's the perfect captain. The perfect captain. I mean, yes. Me and you have covered, like, even going through rewatching Star Trek, you, you, his motivations have been in question. Like, say, for example, the Marquis, the Maquis uh, stuff, the, the stuff we covered on Patreon, that whole thing, yes, his morals have always been in question in, throughout those episodes dealing with the Maquis. You know, does he make the right decision? He makes the right decision in regards to the Starfleet, not humanity he's a company man he's a company man at that point Mm -hmm. but he's doing what starfleet is which is something that in in this series is something that picard fights for to the death you know he fights for fights for it to the point that basically he he puts it all on the line and then loses all of it when he tries to throw it right back at the one thing he's defending which is starfleet and then he has to resign yeah so Dave. If you, if you put the, put the, uh, like what you said, where all the great things that he has done up to this point is him trying to be, regain his humanity, then yes. Yeah. If, if everything that's happened since he, Locutus, ever since Locutus and all his works, all his actions, all the good things he's done is because he's just working extra hard. To prove to himself that he's regained his humanity, yeah, then that is excellent. And if you think about but, it, but now, we have to go back to it, Dave, yeah, right? Because if we they have to just leave us with that, we're like we're scratching our head, like I did when I watched the episode. I'm like, wait a second, since when did he ever struggle with his humanity? Yeah, and when when I think about it now, the whole storyline of him and Locutus has never reached a true conclusion. If, if we as Star Trek fans take a step back and say, did he ever get a conclusion with closure or closure with Locutus? Not really, because even in the movies, you can tell he's still conflicted. Every single movie that he's been, Picard just doesn't seem whole. And it always, they always like kind of say, Oh, it's because of the Locutus incident. And, but there's nothing else that, uh, that 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 comes of it. I I, I agree and I disagree. Um, no, I, I don't know, Dave. You, could, I think that there's an argument to be made. How about that? That there was never complete closure. Now, if we had never seen Picard again, I'd say yes, it's it's fine. I think it ended where it needed to, and we're not left with a lot of questions. But now that we're here, continuing Picard's journey. You can easily look at first contact now and say, yeah, you know what? There's something we can do here. Absolutely. Maybe not with the board per se, but with him and the effects that that had on him. In fact, we have said during Patreon discussions that the Borg incident is what really shaped Picard into being the person he is. And if they're continuing that, 
then I'm on board. I'm on board. But but we definitely need to get back to it. Otherwise, we're just left with a question like, why don't understand that? How is he ever struggling with his humanity? We need to see this. Especially since this moment seemed more tailor made towards seven. Yes. Than Picard. Yeah. No, I agree. (laughs) And this takes us to a very controversial moment in the episode that after thinking about it for a few days, I am okay with it. But it does present problems and questions that they will need to cover. Okay. To have seven of nine kill the way she did was fucking shocking. And that was probably the point. It's a character breaker moment. When you have a scene like that, I doubt anyone in that room was like, yeah, then she um, pulls out a gun and blows an unarmed woman away. Yeah, good idea. I like that. Let's go to uh, uh, print that up and uh, let's send it out to the directors and the and the crew. Oh, especially since you're sending it to Jonathan Franks and Jonathan Franks would most likely look and go. Right. Wait a minute. They didn't make this decision easily. I guarantee you there was discussion in that writing room and they're like, wait, what? You want to do what? There's no way they didn't flinch. This was done purposely. They wanted to shock us. They wanted to grab our attention. And knowing that, I'm okay with what they did, but they're going to have to do a lot of work now to make us understand Seven. Now, just a disclaimer here, I never impose my own creative thoughts or wants on a discussion or review. We try not to. So typically, things we discuss in these shows are, for the most part, based on academic merits, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that being said... I do not have an issue with seven killing someone or being a part of the Fenris Rangers. She's not Starfleet. If anything, her rogue mentality is very much on par with what we know of her upbringing. Yes. Her parents were opposed to Federation ideals. If you remember, uh, there was actually a couple episodes of Star Trek Voyager about that. It's how her and her family ended up in the Delta Quadrant and how Seven ultimately was assimilated by the Borg. Yes. Because they were fleeing Federation, the Federation and their ideas. They didn't want to be controlled by them. They were rogues. They were against it. Not to mention, logically, it would make sense for her to reject a collective ideology due to the trauma of being essentially brainwashed from a hive mind. Yeah. So whether that collectivism is Federation ideals, Ferengi, or Borg, her rejection of falling in line actually works. Would she not be a rebel if she was assimilated at a very young age and her identity was robbed? Her individualism was robbed. Would you ever want to join any group that tells you how to act, how to speak? I think logically this direction they're taking her for right now works. Do the, yeah. do we need to fill in the gaps and, and learn more about what's happened over the last? Absolutely. You know what? 15 years. Yes. There's a lot of questions. What the fuck happened to Chakotay? Uh, she was boning a hot chick. Hey, I, I've read some slash fiction about that. Yeah. So I'm okay with that. Shaban, the pervert. <laughs> well, not writing I'm, some. Sli- he's and then seven and nine is now a lesbian, and she's gonna make out with this hot chick. And and why do he? Why does she give? Why did he give her such a hot girlfriend too? Yeah, dude. Even true. the fuck. Oh, dear but God. Just to just to add on to. I your, was waiting for you know computer in program. <laughs> uh, but just to add on to your uh, onto your point. When you think about the people who influenced her the most, everyone constantly says, well, what about the stuff in Voyager? And I go, I point to it and say, yeah, at the very end, the one person who she looks up to, and we all know at the end of Voyager, she says that it's almost like a surrogate mother of hers was Janeway, who Janeway is one of the most rebellious captains of all time to the point that she decides to break the rule of of uh time influence and goes back into time yep. to save her crew. Yeah, they became less and less a federation crew as time went by. Yeah, like because they, they held that was the whole purpose of that show. That was they the whole they point held of that show. on to federation ideals as long as they could. As long as they could, but 
the the mixing of their ideals, their collective of, you know, the Maquis and the Federation blended together to the point that they weren't Federation by the end. They were just a crew that was loyal to each other. And they ha- they were a family. They and when a you're family. a family, you make a lot you make decisions that are very different than yeah. you do with a military or science crew. So, so I agree with yeah, you. Her joining the Fenris Rangers and stuff like that worked. The, the question that I had that some people have made fun of and everything else is her, is her reaction to, uh, it, cab, uh, his death. I was kind of confused why she killed him <laughs> because he wasn't that injured. Well, that's why. And if, <sighs> if people are going to say, well, he had his eye removed eyesight. How many times have we seen Borg get their implants removed and they're fine. <laughs> you don't die. If you get your eye removed, <laughs> if, it's, not, it's not instant death. If that's the case, Picard would have been dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think seven and nine walks around with a fake eye. If, I, if yeah, my memory serves seven me. Seven nine walks around yeah. with a fake eye. So that's where my, my motivation is. It's not the initial killing of the killing of the, the one woman, the unarmed woman that kind of bothered me. It was a little brutal. Well, I was like, eh, yeah. Well, okay. okay. So Dave, you're not wrong. Again, you're on fire today. You're not wrong. I think a little so <laughs> that's one of my biggest issues with this episode. I'm okay with everything that they've done, right? Yeah. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna address the pros and cons because there are reasons why I have issues, but then I also have reasons why it c- can work as well, okay? But as let's tackle this part first. It's the lack of justification for the murder of her ex-lover that doesn't completely work for me. As yeah. of right now, as of right now, we need to learn more about seven post Voyager for me to completely buy into this because you're right. Her son wasn't dead. He was alive. His eye was removed. <laughs> eye was, was he in pain? Yes. Yes. But who killed him? <laughs> it wasn't them. She killed him to end his suffering. Okay. Where's an EMH when you need him? <laughs> Beam him to a ship and, and and heal him. I don't understand that part. Yeah. Unless we were missing something. Was he near death? Then we probably should have seen it. We should have seen that. And I know he said he didn't want to be healed. He was like, he was the one that gave her the go ahead to ki- just kill him. So maybe he was dying. Maybe he didn't want to be mutilated. But at the same time, he's ex-Borg. They have put his body back together once before. And as far as we saw, it was just the eyeball. Yeah. It's just your eye. And I'm like going, okay, unless he's like in pieces. Okay. And that would be really, really dark. Yeah. If she came in and he was just in pieces. Pieces. Yeah. Kill him. Yeah. (laughs) Just kill him. Right. I, um, he was just missing his eye and just lying on the table. You don't kill somebody because they have a missing eye. That's not a thing. No, no. At that point, I would like go, hey, you know what? I know a really good doctor. He's the EMH of Voyager. Yeah. Remi- He's done this before. Oh, that's true. <laughs> He's done she just pulls out a, the emitter. The emitter. So here you go. It's all Rubber Picardo still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, that's uh, it, uh, one of the red flags. That's I, my red flag. That's it, the red flag because t- now Kirsten Bayer is a good writer and I have faith in her writing abilities. Yes. But that moment was a bit iffy. I was like, oh, come on. I don't know about that. Well, it seems like basically that that moment and that character was just solely used just to ham fist motivation for seven. Yes. They wanted to justify her reason for killing the woman at the end, the woman at the end. And the only way they could justify in this episode or how they viewed the only way they could justify it was by creating an emotional moment, like someone being responsible for the death of a loved one. But again, who pulled the trigger? 
<laughs> who pulled the trigger? And like, if you I mean, this say, isn't this isn't old Yeller. Okay, this isn't. Hey, boy, look the other way. Look at the flowers. This is this is the future. Yeah, where medical attention is at every corner, and you can heal people. This isn't the dark ages to use. Dr. McCoy's verbiage. Here's how here's how I also looked at it the last couple of days is like compare okay, if they're going with the whole whole uh basis of they killed her child, right? They killed her child and everything else. Take that to parallel with Kirk. Kirk's makes more sense because they vaporized David. <laughs> they shot him and then he died. They no, were the they ones did. who they did stabbed it. him, right? Or, no, oh, yeah, they, they, stabbed they stabbed him. him. Yeah, which is more brutal. I'd rather be yeah, vaporized. Which is really brutal. Like, but just like, vaporize me, please. That, that's proper character motivation for a death of a child. But when you look at Seven and I'm like going, wait, Seven, why are you going to kill your own son when you have like so many other options? Kirk had no options. We're beating this dead horse, but I agree. And I feel like. There's a, there's some stuff missing. Yeah, there's stuff missing. We probably need to see more. And I understand uh-huh. that she was on the verge of probably the fact that the Federation has left people behind. That's what it seems like. And that she's they're kind of left to defend themselves. But again, certain we portions. need to see that. Yeah. And that's why I'm going to be patient. That's why I'm going to be patient. And we'll come back to this at the end of the season. We'll circle back. Now, not to mention, I want to get into this, uh, the characterization of Seven a bit more. I want to break it down and whether or not these decisions were logical and if they work with her overall development and what we know of her character, okay? And not to bore people with Voyager facts, but her storyline largely was largely about assimilating into human culture. Yes, And it was. learning what it means to be human. Yes. So if this is what they're going to be continuing if this is part two of what we saw in Voyager, this could work. But we've got to be very delicate because we could run the risk of destroying her character development and growth in Voyager. Yes. But yes, just to reiterate, I was conflicted that we so conflicted that we had to postpone a recording a few days with these decisions. But again, looking at it, taking a step back, it can all work. We just need to fill in some of those gaps and flesh out uh, motivation and, again, being very, very delicate. Yeah, because, like, ultimately, when we step back and actually see it, it's not fan wants. A lot of a lot of things I, I read online, they're mainly, mainly fan wants. But if you step back and you say, okay, what is the initial issue here? You got, we, we don't have enough facts. We don't. We have to dissect. We have to ingest. We have to observe what's happening. Yeah. And we have to we have to come up with answers that the writer didn't give us. The writer hasn't given us those answers yet in the story. Yeah. So it, 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 just like what you said, now we're stuck with saying, okay, we're going to have to find out if they co- come back to this, if they come back to this at all, because – it goes back to my question. This this series was called Picard. It's not called Seven of Nine. Right. So are we going to have time to yes. actually? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping are we that have time? I'm hoping that they continue to use Seven of Nine as a way to flesh out Picard. If they do it that way, they run their narratives parallel, their story arcs, then I think we're in good territory. Now, just to play devil's advocate and tell me if you agree or disagree, okay? Okay. Getting back to Seven of Nine's decisions, someone that had no understanding of human feeling or empathy for most of her life, right? Like yes. Seven of Nine, for all intents and purposes, she could have been described as a sociopath. No, I agree with that. So I do. this decision that Shabon and Bayer made in this episode, again... It can work. It can work. And if the only thing that kept seven to nine in line was the family unit of the, the the family structure of Voyager, then and when this, she lost that, and when she lost that, things changed for her. 
and she no longer knew right and wrong. I mean, how many times did Ensign Kim and and Balana and Janeway say, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, what are you and, doing? like, lead her away. <laughs> yeah. So, and it, it's logical. It makes sense. You're, you yeah. expect a woman who was assimilated or a child when she was assimilated when she was seven and then was brought back to humanity in what her late twenties. Yes. You expect her to be normal. She would be having problems She'd for problems. the rest of her life. And yeah, psychologically. Yeah. Her, her story in Voyager culminated with her understanding what it meant to be human. Yes. And or at you, least got having the structure we of have a the family structure. unit yeah. kept her in line. It's, we, a, it's a lot like we hear about, you know, uh, individuals on the spectrum or people who struggle with borderline personality disorders. They need structure. They need uh, habits because then they form ideas on what to do based on those certain things. And once you pull that away from them, they're lost and they're confused. And you're just like, wait a second. What do I do? Yeah. What do I do? And so, then like. That's why I, I agree with you. I mean, she is, she can be a character study for sociopathism yeah. and like for, for Star Trek fans out there. No, she, her, she, she figured it all out in the end. Yes. But just like what Mike's uh, well, like what you stated, her majority of her life, she was like this. Right. And it's yes. only like, let's say five years that she learned to be human. In comparison right. to the rest of her life, which was 20, 20 to 30 years as a Borg. Right, Dave. And just like with Picard, if we had left them in the past, then we could say, oh, a little tidy with a little bow on it. It's done. It's done. And they have found a, a great way to bring Picard back. And it works without destroying anything from the TNG days or any of the movies. Yes. And now we're in the same position with seven to nine. And that's why I said we have to be very careful moving forward because this could just be chapter two. But we also don't want to retcon chapter one. Exactly. So we have to be careful. Yeah. I was happy overall with Bayer being the one to write the official episode that would was bring too. back seven. And yeah. for those that don't know, Kirsten Bayer is mostly known for Star Trek Voyager tie-in novels. Yes, she is. That's pretty and much how her career job. Yeah, it's pretty much how her career in Star Trek got started. It's how she gained her Trek fame and eventually found herself on or within the writing team uh, of Discovery and now, of course, Picard. And I think that's ultimately why I'm not so harsh on this episode. And why we have faith. Why we have faith yes. is because we know we know that Kristen Bear knows her Star Trek. Right. I feel and like she has an understanding of these core characters. She has an understanding. It's the question of how is she going to show that to us now in this series? You know, she just can't drop a bomb and basically just leave it. That's bad writing. Yeah. Don't crop dust us. Don't crop dust us. <laughs> Give us this little tidbit, but now you have to explain it. But again, as I said, how, how much will this take away from Picard? Because that's the ultimately well, what the series is about. Everything should be about Picard. Yeah. So anytime you introduce a new element, has a new, to tie a to him. character has to tie in. And they did do it at the end with the whole humanity question. But as we had said, it was that just a quick way to justify seven of nine's introduction. And are we going to get back to it? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about that thing that you brought up a moment ago about Kirk. You were using Kirk to compare to seven and nine. Now, people can argue that Kirk did similar things, particularly in Star Trek three with Krug. But I think the differences can be justified by comparing the, the tonal nuances. He only killed Krug after he had refused his hand. And was trying to pull him into the depths of a fiery grave. Yeah. And then he had enough of him. Yes. <laughs> I have enough, enough of you. <laughs> oh my God, we're nerds. That's exactly how he says it though. Yes. <laughs> Even the destruction of the Enterprise with the Klingons on board was a bit humorous. We deserve to die. And yes, he blew up the Enterprise with Klingons on board, right? Is that how it happened? Yes. Yes. But there was a humor. It, there, you can get away with things by shifting the tone. And that's probably the biggest difference between anything we've seen before. 
the tone for this episode was probably unlike anything we've ever seen. And I think that's the biggest shock to a lot of people. Oh yeah. Because it, a lot of the, a lot of the comparisons to Kirk, I mean, Kirk's motivations made sense and it stuck to his character. You get to these decisions with seven and it's like, okay, what's her motivations? Yeah. Yep. All right. So the violence and gore, I know this seems to be a big thing for a lot of people, but I just, I just don't give a shit. Grow up. It, it, <laughs> just grow up. It's the times. It's if the this times. type of content was allowed on network television back in the 60s and 90s, it would have been there. I feel like a broken record. I've justified the violence on Discovery for a couple seasons, and I'm not going to do it again here. I'm just not. Bottom line, this isn't the Dick Van Dyke show. Our maturity and entertainment represents our culture and who we are as individuals, societal habits. We don't live in a black and white world. Our minds are open and we're not naive. Yeah, we're not. We're not in the Puritan times anymore. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, don't give me. I don't want exploitative and debauchery violence <laughs> because I don't like that to, to begin with, unless it's for specific reason. Like I'm into certain horror films but the best horror is when there's a message about society. Yeah. About culture. So I want justified violence. And I feel like in this episode, it was justified. It was there to create that little nudge, that motivation for, for seven. So I get why they did it and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, Agnes. This is pretty fucking bad, dude. <laughs> she, might, she might Thank be the you. worst character we've ever seen in Star Trek. I seriously think and so. I'm not talking about worse as in like badly written. I'm talking like she might be the baddest person <laughs> that's ever hit the Star Trek screens. And it it's so strange because the way that the that they've introduced this character to us and suddenly left field. I'm like, going, well, Dave, <sighs> is it left field? Is it? We had questioned her motivation and her sincerity. From the moment she decided to join the crew. <laughs> yes. Because the way she popped in. And and I think that's what really, for me, just unfortunately hurts the character for me because the way that it was written and the way it was executed, it's so telegraphed that I'm like going, the, the point that we got in this episode, I had no impact on it because I was like going, oh, well. We all saw this coming. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. So I don't have problems with it. Oh my God. I hate being negative, but I think from a writing standpoint, I think it's a cheap way to get a point across. Yes, it is. Um, set of the nine. I'm all about it. What yes. she did. I'm fine. It works because there's a nuance to it. But with this, it feels like, Hey, we saw it coming, which is fine. That you can still build suspense just because you know the killer is in the house and he's about to murder someone in a movie doesn't mean there isn't suspense. Sometimes we we can know the outcome and it still work. So we knew Agnes was not going to be who she says. Like we knew she was going to have some weird affiliation, especially after where we had left when the uh, Commodore had approached her. And then suddenly she's now at Picard's home. Yeah, we knew something was going to happen. But I feel like the the murder of Bruce Maddox was so brutal because it now creates a question. What the fuck <laughs> did she see that yeah. would make her murder a man she that was she in love was with? In love with. So that being said, I feel like it's, yes, a quick way to remind us of the bigger picture that the that data's daughters are possibly harbingers of death. OK, at least that's how they're trying to set it up. Right. I don't think that's going to be what it is, but they're trying to lead us in that direction. Yeah. And I don't think we needed that to understand that there's a threat. It almost, I think it's the only thing that really bothered me in this episode. I'm like, well, okay, first off, no one else, there's no alarms going off when someone's <laughs> being killed. The EMH is like, what are you doing? Dude, like, yeah. you know what she's doing. You know what she's doing. 
Are you a terrible EMA? Can you imagine if Robert <laughs> Ricardo did that? Robert Ricardo would have picked up a phaser and, and shot her. It shot her or stunned her. It, it was, it, <laughs> there were some issues with that part. Uh, uh, however, it does serve a point, And now we understand. We understand. What is at risk or at least what she thinks is at is risk because it did answer a few questions as well. I guess we can assume that Commodore O is in fact a baddie. I think that's clear. All right. So, I mean, dude, how else? Who else show, talk to her? It, it's her. It's Commodore O. I don't it's know. She still may not know the entire story, like the bigger picture. She may not understand how involved the Romulans are, are how involved the Romulans may be. Because, again, you got to remember the lieutenant or the Romulan was posing as a, a human lieutenant. That was part of Starfleet. So why would she do that? Was that for Commodore O's sake or was that for everyone else around them? And actually the interesting part is like, now that you got my brain working on this, I think also the one, my one problem with this moment is the fact that when you look at the last, all the episodes we've gotten thus far, your, I believe it's protagonist, right? Protagonist is the obstacle or the villain. No, antagonist. Antagonist? Yeah. The antagonist is not solidly shown. Like like who the bad guy is? Yeah. We don't know what the hell is going on on that side. So when stuff like this happens, it's kind of like, okay, is this the antagonist doing this? So Commodore O is the antagonist. But wait a minute. For the past couple of episodes, you've been showing the Romulan girl the sister no she's the big bad well it's kind of what they're they're, the antagonist is more or less the situation it's almost like discovery season one yeah it's like the the we don't really have a definitive bad guy and listen i'm okay with that western literature has beaten into our minds that we must have a tangible villain yes and i don't agree with that i feel like villains or the antagonist the obstacle can be uh situational and it can but it uh, it also depends on the execution of that though yeah and i i just feel that basically the execution of the uh, of that all the deliveries of everything just almost seem ham-fisted especially when you get to that point when she kills uh, maddox and i'm like okay okay who's the villain we have possibly the tal shiar Yes. And there's a conspiracy going on. They mentioned the conclave of eight in this episode. Yeah. So those, those are our villains. They are mystery and they are unknown and their true agenda is not quite clear because it's part of the mystery. But I do feel like that much is known. We do know that there's a conspiracy has been hidden. The Federation and the Romulans could be involved. That's all we know. That's so, all. And honestly, because we know that it may not end up being that <laughs> we will see. Dave. We will see. There's a lot of questions, but that your issues go right back to what we said. I want to say in episode three, our discussion on episode three is like, Hey, there's a lot of moving parts here. And it feels like a lot of misdirection for misdirection. Misdirection for misdirection. But we'll and, see, Dave. We'll see. That's the problem. That's why that's why I agree with you that what the point that we made in the toward the beginning of the show is kind of like you can't hate on this right now because you don't see the whole picture. Yeah. We're only seeing a piece of it right now. Yep. All right. So let's go to a very quick break and then when we get back, we're going to Finalize our thoughts and get into a few tidbits. We'll be right back. Double dumbass on you! Everything! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! And it helps strengthen the one rule in Star Trek that basically a lot of, I think a lot of fans and a lot of writers in Star Trek really do not take that much seriously is that prime directive. The prime directive is you do not, by any means, inter, uh, interact with a pre-warp society. Unless they're hot. 
<laughs> if the whole if the whole world is a bunch of T'Pols and seven yeah. and nines, then yes, you must break that prime directive. That's what that's what makes those moments. or at least bend it slightly <laughs> to the right and up. That's what that's what makes. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. That's so stupid. <laughs> oh man, what is it that's bo- what is it that's bothering him? Yeah, because everyone deals with that. There's a lot of uh, I always read like self help books and stuff like that that tell about inside. Of I read self help books when it comes to sex. I, I need lots. <laughs> Help! I need lots, lots of help. That's how I learned about the slightly, the slight bend to the right and the up. Bend to the right. Yeah, and up. that was due to a, a sex help book <laughs> and sexual yoga books. Yeah. Well, the sex for dummies. <laughs> Star Trek from the holodeck, exclusively on Rain Man Digital and Simulation. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. You can always get more from the Holodeck every single month by pledging to our Patreon page. That's right, David. All people have to do is head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to a plethora of a start. A plethora. A plethora. A plethora of Star Trek discussions. All right. So, where, where to start here? Where, where are we going to start here? All right. So, outside of the narrative direction, yes. we get some more fleshing out of the world. Uh, Quark. Uh, that was so fun. Of Ferenganar. That was so fun. <laughs> it was fun. And the reason why I just love I love that part. Because Deep Space Nine is one of my all-time favorite treks. Highly intelligent, introspective, uber progressive, creative, thoughtful, emotional. And to get something, anything on a Deep Space Nine character is a treat. Because when have we ever thought we would get a continuation of any of these characters? (laughs) Any of these TNG era characters? We had assumed that. Error was done. Those days were done. And here we are. Seven of nine. Quark's name being thrown in the mix. A Picard story. I mean, it's awesome. It, uh, and I like that. Apparently, we, we learn a little bit about him. And apparently, he has continued his relationship with the Federation as, and is in good terms. Yes. Since he obviously assisted in their cover story. But who has the connection with him? That's the... That's my question. Who has the connection with him? Is it Raffi, Rios, Picard? Because they're not they're not necessarily on Federation business. Yeah, none of them really make a comment of who's the who's the one that knows Quark. Yeah, dude, it would it has to be Rios. Please be Rios. It'd be it'd be funny if it was Rios, and I I would love Rios even more if he Wouldn't was connected to that. Wouldn't it make sense if it was it him make though? Sense. Uh, the the easiest one would be Picard because Picard's been on Deep Space Nine and he's probably dealt with that crew. So see, I think what makes sense right now is Rios because Rios is is involved in the underworld right yes. now. Yes, and it would make sense. I would love Rios to be connected to Quark. Oh my god, dude! And how gr- amazing would it be if we actually get Quark, <laughs> dude? Even just a moment. Give me fucking well, 45 seconds. The, the the one that had me just giddy was someone actually posted up a picture that Quark's bar was on pre-cloud. Okay, I didn't notice that, but I did see the still that was hitting social media, that hit social media after the episode aired. 
Yeah. But I didn't notice it. Uh, so yeah, he has a bar on Free Cloud as well. Yeah, he has, uh, because he's a he's an enterprise. He's a Dude, business. I love man. it. I love it. <laughs> it's an enterprise now at this point. Yeah, and like I, uh, when I saw that, I was like going, just like what you were with the point you made is like I'm glad to see that we still don't forget about the characters in the past. We'll mention them, and they moved on. They moved on with their lives. They, you know went on to do get better things. And the fact that Quark has become kind of like this major businessman now makes so much sense. And it makes me happy. It makes As me a happy. Deep Space Nine fan to see that he got what he's always wanted. He's always wanted this. He's always wanted the respect. <laughs> but the but the best part by far would be he uh, I think what would be so hilarious if they they brought him back and he got this right. He got basically to be the big business mogul, but he still treated like Quark. Oh, come on. <laughs> We're talking about Ferengis. They never treat each other well. So exactly. I mean, I want someone to kind of treat him like Odo would. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. and I don't care if he's like a big, gigantic, you know, crime boss. But the fact that someone would still treat Quark like he was in Deep Space Nine just makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the Fenris Rangers, we learned about them. They are a group of vigilantes that patrol space. They try to maintain law and order in areas that the Federation have either pulled out of or have no control over. Dude. So we got that. I would love for them to... You know, everyone's constantly talking about how they're going to do the uh, the one series with uh, the one faction that's basically the secret CIA of the section thirty one. Section thirty one, right? Yeah, yeah. Imagine a series if they did of the Fenris Rangers. Yeah. Well, Dave. Okay. You're Cowboys getting... in space. Okay. <laughs> Cowboys in space. That that's what it, they are. That man. made it sound so stupid, though. Cowboys that... in space. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> Okay, Dave, yes, those ideas are great. But look how people are struggling with Star Trek Picard. Because <laughs> I think the biggest problem people have right now with Picard, some of the old school fans, is that it doesn't remind them of the original Star Trek. I any of them. And for me, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We're not dealing in the normal environment that we find ourselves in with Star Trek. I know somebody wrote, numerous people, remember when Star Trek used to explore? I see people writing that all the time. I'm like, yeah, that's the five-year mission of the Enterprise or its ongoing mission in TNG. Yes. Their mission was to seek out new life and new civilizations. It doesn't mean every ship and space station is dedicated to doing that. The, the world of Starfleet and the Federation is so much bigger. So what we're exploring in Star Trek Picard are the characters. We're not exploring Starfleet. Star Trek isn't Starfleet. Yeah. Star Trek point. isn't the Federation. Star yeah. Trek is our, our characters and what they stand for, their ideology. I think that's what Star Trek is more about than anything. It's a set of ideology and what guides the pen does the writer of this episode or the, the series understand it should guide, it should be a template. Yes. And if we have to tear down, as I always say, if we have to tear it all down to build it back up, then so be it. So as be long it. as we get back to where we should be. All right, Dave. So give me your final thoughts. Final thoughts on this episode. As I said, in the very beginning of the show, at first I was very conflicted, but after giving it some thought and actually looking at it, this isn't a bad episode. No, it's not a bad episode. It's just one of those episodes that is it. We need to wait to see how this episode affects the se season as a whole. So it's kind of I don't think I would classify this as a filler episode, but no, it's. It's the type of episode that. Needs other episodes to actually get it's narrative strength back, you know? So my final grade for this one, I enjoy it still. So I, I I'm going to grade it as a 75. Um, besides the writing hiccups and everything, the only other red flag that I have is Picard himself. The character kind of got lost in this episode, but the good thing was all the other characters kind of like, were so interesting to me that, 
I kind of didn't notice it till I watched this episode at least three more times. Yeah. And then I began to realize, well, wait a minute. What does Picard do in this? Well, he just stands there, kind of gets them on free cloud, puts on an eye patch, acts like Werner Herzog for some strange reason. <laughs> and that's about it. It has a yeah. talk about, it has a talk with uh, seven of nine that you could argue is about him, but it just felt that whole scene felt more about seven than Picard. Yeah. And honestly, the biggest strength of this episode was the directing. Jonathan Franks took something that had a little, some writing red flags, but he made the episode still digestible. He, he focused on performances. He focused on introductions and I believe this is the episode that he said uh, the the in the one article where he worked really diligently with Jerry Ryan to try to get Seven of Nine back. Yeah. So I think that the strength of the episode is thanks to him as a as a director, and he made this work. If this was done by a, a lesser known director, I think me and you would have been more harsh. A lesser on experienced it. director. Yeah. yeah. A lesser experienced director. Lesser talented. I think me and you would have been more harsh on it because there's just something that Jonathan Franks can do with Star Trek where he can pull little nuances and make the audience kind of forget about like writing, writing red flags. But this one, there was so, it was such a big writing red flag that it made. How many times can you say writing red flags right in your final thoughts? Let's go ahead. Let's go for five more. (laughs) <laughs> all right anything else that's about besides it. red flags yeah so i would give this a 75 how about a yellow flag <laughs> so stupid green flag a green flag there we go <laughs> okay so i mean my final thoughts are pretty much sprinkled throughout the episode i think people kind of kind of got a general consensus of how i feel right the problem that some star trek fans are having with this show though is that they have a very narrow-minded view of what Trek is. And not that my view is all knowing, but they have to understand that Star Trek is much more than what they feel Trek is because of a particular show. Yeah. And that idea isn't necessarily wrong, how they feel Trek should be, but it doesn't need to be the focus of every Trek series. We're dealing with a time in Federation history when things have gotten bleak politically. This is not a new direction, as we had discussed, I believe, in our episode two discussion. Oh, multiple These times. ideas were plotted out by Rick Berman yep. years ago. And now we're dealing with the aftermath of his decisions about an aging dynasty. This is what happens when a government begins to crumble. This is not Kurtzman. This isn't Shaban. This is Rick Berman. This is Rick Berman. Not a bad episode. It was a good episode, full of controversy. It has definitely gotten people to talk, which is a good thing. Which Star Trek always does. Yeah. So I'm hoping we get a little more Picard. We have, what, five more episodes to go? Let's really flesh out the Picard aspect. Let's get into the mysteries. Let's start cracking this open. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.